0: Good morning, morning. happy Pentecost once again, I know some of you guys are really excited because you think it's Georgia Bulldogs Day, (laughs) wearing red in church, I'm really excited because I grew up Pentecostal, I'm the son of a Pentecostal preacher man, and today's Pentecost, but it turns out Pentecost doesn't only belong to the Bulldogs, doesn't only belong to the Pentecostals. The spirit belongs to the church, and it's the spirit that animates the church. I'm excited to talk about God's word with you this morning. I want to share a little bit uh, before we get into it on just kind of the vision and kind of how we talk about who we are as a church. A lot of Anglican churches kind of in our vein will talk about the three streams, and I want to just kind of name that for you today, and by three streams, we mean uh, the Catholic stream, the evangelical stream, and the charismatic stream. Of course, some of us will think of the Catholic stream as the oldest stream, this uh, very beautiful, liturgical, sacramental kind of life of the church, right? And then with the Reformation, we had some folks that said, hey, we got to make sure that like we're focusing on Jesus here, right? So we need to kind of lift Jesus up a little higher. We kind of need to get back to the scriptures And so we call this stream either the Reformation stream or evangelical in the sense that scripture kind of needs to be the norm for all of our beliefs, right? And then we have what some folks might call the Pentecostal stream or the charismatic stream. And this is kind of this renewal that the church has known over the last 100 or so years where there's been a re-emphasis on the infilling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and how the Spirit animates the life of the church and empowers the church for ministry. And there was uh, a bishop from, from Scotland named Leslie Newbegin. who was a missionary bishop who did some work in India and um, did some really great work. And he came back uh, to England and found that England had changed a lot while he was gone. This is over the last century. It had gone from seeming like more of like a place where more people were Christian to a place where very few people were Christian. And he noticed some changes in the culture and so anyway, he's got a lot of great writings. I recommend you guys check out Leslie Newbigin. But he's, he was one of the first ones to talk about these three streams converging together in one. And I'm happy to talk about the three streams as long as we remember that these streams were never supposed to be separate. If we read in the book of Acts, we read uh, in, in the church history, the first 100 years of the church, all of, all of these people were people of the word. They knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, can quote it up and down way better than you and I could. They were Bible people. They were all people of the spirit. They had received the spirit. They were full of the the gifts of the spirit. We see the gifts operating in the church even until the fourth and the fifth century. We can read the history of it. They're so filled with the spirit, they're willing to die. In fact, they go out and they do. They give their lives. They have a Holy Spirit boldness but they're also very sacramental and liturgical people. They inherited a liturgy from Israel, right? And they continue in this liturgy. Obviously the church is gonna adapt that liturgy. The resurrection changes everything. Pentecost changes everything, right? And so it gets changed, it morphs, but they're still living in the liturgical life of the people of God. We read today in Acts two, if you go a little bit further, you'll see that they were fellowshipping daily and breaking bread together daily. And a lot of Bible scholars will see that as nothing other than the Eucharist. They were celebrating the Eucharist together daily. They recognized Christ's presence among them in the breaking of bread. And so I want to just remind us of who we are. We are a Three Streams Church. We celebrate all these things. So when we look at our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, We want the best of what's there. We look at our evangelical brothers and sisters. We want the best of what's there. We look at our Catholic and Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters. We want to celebrate the best of what's there. I know some people, if we were to like have a little bar graph of like, you know, what's the mix, right? Like what's the the one, right? And so I imagine some people, they imagine you can only have 15, right? So they might think, okay, we're like going to be an eight on the evangelical and then maybe we'll give like five to the charismatic and how much do we have left, right? So maybe it's because um, I'm from New Orleans and I don't know enough about moderation. But if, <laughs> if you want to know about my goal in life, it's to, in, for the life of our church, I want to be 10 on everything. I just want to be full on in the sacraments, full on into the liturgy. I want to be full on into God's word. I want to see us just diving into the word and studying the word together. And then I want us to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd love to see the Spirit animating our life here. I'd love to see us filled with, with the gifts of the Spirit. I'd love to see you guys operating in the Spirit. So I just want you to know that I'm all in. I know some folks, coming from other traditions, maybe see some robes or some, some candles, and we think that we're the folks that are like trying to be in control and kind of keep things safe. And I just want you to know that the Spirit blows where the Spirit wants to. It shows up on the day of Pentecost. It's a, it's a mighty rushing wind and it's shaking things up. And we are the kind of people that wanna be shook up in the way that God wants to shake us. Is that cool with with you guys? I hope we can live into that, right? Let's do it. In the text, there's this line in Acts 2. We're gonna talk about Acts 2 this morning. There's this line, and the people say, what does this mean? And I want us to stay there for a moment this morning and talk about what does this Pentecost event mean? And really when they say, what does this mean? They're asking, what is God up to? (laughs) Like in this thing we're seeing, what is God doing? What does Pentecost mean? Well, quite literally, Pentecost means 50. It means 50. Actually, for instructional purposes, I'm gonna move this icon over here, okay? It was very well placed here for our our wonderful set of people who do such a great job every week setting up this place. We're so thankful for all the amazing people that serve in our church. We're gonna need this right here as we get to moving. Pentecost means 50. As you know, God's people were enslaved in Egypt and they weren't able to flourish. Their lives were given over to a purpose that wasn't God's purpose for them. They were serving another Lord. They were serving Pharaoh when they should have been serving the God of Israel. And so their lives turned out to be set apart for his purposes and not for God's purpose. And so they cried out to God. They did not have the power that they needed to save themselves. And so we have the Passover. The Passover is the Exodus. It's God's decisive act in human history. This is God's salvation of Israel. He saved them by grace when they could not save themselves. We can think of this paschal candle, which just means Passover candle. We'll let that remind us of this freedom that we get from the Passover. God saved his people. We know what he saved them from bondage and slavery, but what did he save them for? Your freedom from what? But what are they free for? Well, 50 days later in the wilderness, Israel is gonna find out what they got saved for. What is their freedom for? And so 50 days later, as they're wandering in the wilderness and they get to Sinai, God says, all right, I'm about to show up, here we go. And then all of a sudden, the mountain starts to get really spooky. There's fire and there's thunder and there's smoke. Fire is a symbol of theophany. It's an appearance, it's like when God is showing up in the midst of human history. What's gonna happen at Sinai? Well, 50 days later, this is the giving of the Torah, and Torah means God's instruction. Sometimes we translate it law, but really it means instruction. So what happened is God freed them, and then he freed them to be his free people in the world. And so the Torah is going to show them how to live as free people, how to be free to worship the one true God according to his good instruction, how to be free to love God and to love their neighbors. And they're going to be free to become a signpost pointing the nations to the glory of the one true God. Basically, this law is meant to set Israel apart as God's priestly people in the world. So God says, hey, I am going to show, I'm gonna show you what it looks like to demonstrate my ways, my good and beautiful ways to the nations. And so Passover becomes a feast, right? It becomes a feast that Israel is to perpetually remember this exodus from Israel. They're perpetually supposed to remember that God saved them and that the Passover is supposed to be a lens through which they are to understand all of reality, In fact, as he's giving them the law, he's reminding them, hey, I am the guy that saved you from from Egypt and slavery, and this is how I want you to treat your neighbor. Remember, you were mistreated as foreigners in Israel? This is how I want you to treat foreigners, right? And so it turns out that Passover becomes the impetus for Pentecost, the giving of the law. And so there's this connection. So there's a feast to remember, and basically they're always supposed to understand their life as we are Exodus people. We, We were enslaved peoples that have now been set free, and how are we gonna live now? As free people. So there's a feast for Passover, and then 50 days later, there is, of course, a feast for Pentecost, the feast of the giving of the law. Well, if you guys know the story, unfortunately, after freedom comes failure. Unfortunately, our spiritual ancestors failed to live according to God's good and beautiful ways, and they oppressed their neighbors, and they turned to other gods. And they put their faith in chariots and they begin to rely on other nations instead of their God. And so God, so to speak, sent them back to Egypt. They ended up being conquered and sent into exile. And this time the new Egypt goes by the name of Babylon. And they find themselves enslaved again. And it starts to look as if God's project to save the world might be in jeopardy. But it turns out the spirit of God was up to something. It turns out that God is not a God who gives up on his plan or gives up on his people. And so he sent them some people. Not often, but from time to time, God's spirit would rest on a particular person. And these people would speak on God's behalf They would encourage and rebuke. They would lead and they would pray and they would agonize over Israel. And they were a sign of God's love for a wayward people. And we call these people prophets. One prophet said there would come a day when God's law would no longer be external to God's people. One day, would God put his good and beautiful ways in their hearts, he said it like this. Well, really, God says through him, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write it. I'm sorry, I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. This prophet's name was Jeremiah. And then there was another prophet who went further. He prophesied that in this same last day, that God is not only going to do something with his people Israel, but that all of the nations are going to come to know him. He said, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. He said that the nations that oppress Israel would be the same nations that would one day be drawn to the light of Israel and that they are gonna come and pour into Jerusalem and they are gonna give glory to the God of Israel. It's a vision that God is going to do something with Israel that is bigger than Israel. This is going to go global. This prophet's name was Isaiah. And then there was another prophet that said something even wilder. He said one day God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And this is a very Jewish way of saying all kinds of people, not just a random prophet here and there Not just God's people, all people. Sons and daughters, young and old, male and female slaves, everyone that called on the name of the Lord would be saved. What an an expansive vision. It must have sounded too good to be true. It would have stretched Israel's understanding of what might be possible with God. And this vision came through a prophet we know as Joel. So how would God bring about this vision? As Christians, we could say, how did God bring about this vision? And obviously the answer is Pentecost. Pentecost, it's 50 days. God's decisive act in human history. If ever you've read through the book of Exodus and you've read the Gospels, you know that the Gospels work super hard to paint the picture that the Exodus is happening again, that God's people are in slavery, in bondage to sin, in bondage to death, in oppression, and God has shown up on the scene to free them, to do the thing that they cannot do. They have the, not the power to save themselves. And so what happens? The Gospels paint Jesus as the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, the one who died for us to break us from the power of sin. And so Jesus comes and he frees us. And that's what he frees us from. And of course, he doesn't just free us from something, he frees us for something. And so, 50 days later, from the freedom of the Passover, what happens? This time, it's not the giving of the law. This time, it's something greater. It's the giving of the Holy Spirit. God wants to show the world what he's like. God's gonna put his spirit in his people so that they have the power they need to live for him in this world. So they have the power to live set apart for his purposes. So they have the power they need with boldness to proclaim the resurrection of our Lord in a very hostile world. And they're going to go out and they're going to do it. And God's plans are going to be accomplished. Remember that idea from Jeremiah about God's going to write the law on their hearts? If we were to read just a little bit further in Acts 2, we see a description of what they start doing. They start living together in common. People that have a little extra sell off some land and they start giving it to people that need it. They're breaking bread together. They're fellowshipping. They're studying God's word. They're worshiping together. In fact, if you read what they're doing and then you go back and read Deuteronomy, you realize that they're just living out Deuteronomy. They're just living out this way that God had always intended for them to live. The spirit is animating them so that Jeremiah is coming to pass. They know God. Their law is on their hearts and they're behaving the way that God always wanted them to live in the world. Remember that verse from Isaiah about the knowledge of God going global? The nations will know Yahweh's project, so the God of Israel. This project will be bigger than just Israel. The whole earth is going to get included in God's family. What do we see in Acts 2? People from all over the world are gathered there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They're from very far away. And what do they hear? They hear the praises of God being sung and praised in their own languages. And of course, they wanna know what does this mean? And what it means is that God is keeping his promise. It means that he's shining a light onto the nations. And this glorious thing that God is doing cannot be contained in Jerusalem. It's going global. It means God is gonna turn his people outward. He's going to redeem men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation. And then remember that prophecy about where Joel said, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Actually, Peter just goes ahead and quotes Joel when folks are asking what's happening, right? That's exactly where he goes. When the people say, what does this mean? What is God up to Peter said, oh, well, these are the last days. These are the last days that Joel was talking about when God's gonna pour out a spirit and not just one prophet here or there, but on everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. You'll see the three streams in in Peter's sermon if you go and study it, because you'll notice he's pointing to the scriptures. He's telling them how they get the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, "What, what do you do? Repent, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive uh, and and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Right? So he's got he's got the verses there, and then what does he call him? He calls him to the sacramental life. Receive the sacrament of baptism, and you will what? You will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, and for your children, and for your children's children. So what does this mean? Well, first this morning, I wanted to make sure we all knew and that a lot of us could be reminded about how Pentecost fits into the larger picture of the scriptures. I wanted us to remember how this day fits into God's plan of salvation. And I wanted us to marvel together at this long awaited day, the culmination of countless prophecies that when originally spoken were really beyond the horizons of our human imagination. What does this mean and what does this mean for us? Well, quite frankly, it means so much, (laughs) but let me just speak a few words to that. Passover equals freedom. So I want you to know that Christ came to set you free He came to set you free from your sins and from bondage and from addiction and all those things that are holding you back. And so I wanna invite you into freedom. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I wanna invite you just as Peter did. Believe in him, believe in his resurrection, repent and receive baptism and you can be free. Some of us have done that, but we're still not free. And I wanna encourage you to seek the freedom that comes from Christ through the Holy Spirit. Passover equals freedom. Pentecost equals the power to live free. The power to be witnesses of Christ's resurrection in a hostile world. And I just want us to remember this morning that our call isn't to be inward. We gather here on a Sunday to worship, to encourage one another, to fellowship, right? To receive our Lord, but then we're sent out into the world to do the work He has given us to do. We are not a spiritual country club. We do not exist solely for the benefit of our members. The spirit is in us to get us out into the world. Christians are filled with the spirit to be witnesses. Friends, we are the missionary church. There actually is no other church other than the missionary church. The spirit gave the ability to the disciples to speak other languages. And I wanna remind you that the experience was not about them. And that's where a lot of us in the charismatic world can kind of get off on things. Sometimes we imagine that these experiences are just kind of all about us and kind of our own like spiritual edification. And guess what? Edification is there. When you have an encounter with, with the real living God, it comes live in you and it changes you. It's there. You're gonna be encouraged. You're gonna be inspired. But it's, it's not to stop with us. It's to bring us out into the world. It's to turn us toward the nations. We live in a global city, Atlanta. The nations have come to us. For some of us, all we gotta do is turn our, our, our face out to our neighbors down the street. It's power to witness. Pinnacle. Pentecost must turn us outward. I crave for us to be a more charismatic church, more of God's spirit here manifested among us. I want to see us filled and operating in spiritual gifts. I want more of us burning with more of the fire of God's love. But this isn't just about an experience for us. It's about the power to be the missionary church in the midst of a hostile world. It's the power to include people we never thought we could include. It's the power to be God's end time people set apart for his purposes in the world. Friends, you are God's end time people. You are the ones prophesied about. You are the ones that God was thinking about when God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. We are the ones. We are the church. The same spirit that spoke through Jeremiah, that spoke through Isaiah, now lives inside of you and wants to speak through you. The spirit that rose Christ from the dead is alive and dwells in you. May God fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit that we might receive power to be his witnesses in Atlanta and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. I invite you into a moment of silence as we reflect on what the Spirit would be speaking to us in this time.